You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. We encourage you to use this podcast only as a supplement to your regular attendance or membership of a local church that faithfully preaches the gospel. If you're in Birmingham, we would love for you to visit Iron City. See more details at our website, ironcitychurch.org. We may not realize it, but this past week, every one of us saw many things. Things that made us happy, things that made us sad. We saw people we love and people we struggle to love. We saw things we're so used to seeing that they seem mundane, food on our plates, clouds in the sky, emails in our inbox, and many other things. But, beloved, what we need to see every week, every day, more than anything, is Jesus. The risen Christ Jesus, sisters and brothers, as your pastor, I am burdened for you to see Jesus. And seeing him may sound strange to you because, after all, we can't see Jesus with our eyes, right? Kids, have you ever thought about that? I remember once one of my kids was trying to go to sleep, but they were really scared And I said to them, you'll be okay. Jesus is here with you. And they said, but I can't see him. And my kid was right. We can't yet see Jesus with our eyes. But beloved, we can see him with our faith. So much so that one pastor called faith the eyesight of the soul. And yet it's often hard for our souls to see Jesus, isn't it? You know, sometimes it feels like all we can see is our problems, our stress, our frustrations. I mean, can I be real with y'all? Just to make crystal clear that what I'm talking about is not abstract, it's not something you may struggle with, but I don't. No, beloved, I, your pastor, struggled to keep my eyes on Jesus this past week. For whatever reason, it was tough for me to do that. It often is. But when it came to seeing Jesus this week, I often felt blind. And that's why I need you guys. That's why we need each other. That's why every week we come together so we can stop looking at what's wrong with us, which is plenty, and start looking at what's right with Christ, which is endless. Ray Ortland said that. Beloved, every week we come together so we can stop looking at what's wrong with us, which is plenty, and start looking at what's right with Christ, which is endless. Sisters and brothers, do you want to see the endless rightness of Christ tonight? I do. You with me? Then let's look at Jesus together by faith. Turn to Mark 10. Mark chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 46 through 52 today. Verses 46 through 52, and you can find that on page 795 of those black Bibles around you. Page 795. 
And just a heads up, there are so many gems in this passage that if you only take one or two away today, that is totally fine. We're continuing on the journey to Jerusalem with Jesus, and we're almost there. We've been walking through Mark for a year and a half, and we're almost to Jerusalem. But in tonight's text, the train of Jesus and his crew will make one last stop before it pulls into town. Where does this train stop? And what will happen there? Let's look at our text and see. Mark 10, 46. God's word says, And they, Jesus and his followers, came to Jericho. Pause. I know I pause a lot when we read scripture, and I'd apologize for it, but I'm not really that sorry. Uh, And you just need to bear with your pastor. Because this is so cool, beloved. I just have to point this out, that Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. What was the promised land of God's people? And right before he enters it, he stops in Jericho. Well, in the Old Testament, where did Israel stop as they came to the promised land? But Jericho. Do you see, beloved, Jesus is walking the very path the people of God walked. The only thing is he's doing it better. He's doing it right. He's about to head into Jerusalem where people are blind to who he is. And their greatest need is your greatest need. And your greatest need is to see Jesus in all his fullness. A fullness Mark describes tonight. Let's look again. Jesus and his followers come to Jericho, verse 46. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up. And came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I have three points for us tonight, friends, and here's the first. Point number one, your suffering is not meaningless. Your suffering is not meaningless. Yes, Jesus has purpose even for our pain, so let's look back at our text and see how our suffering is not meaningless. Here we go. Friends, verse 46 puts before us Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. Uh, So as a beggar, this man was not only blind, he was poor. Uh, He had no home, it's safe to assume, as he's sitting beside the road, verse 46 says. And, And when we see this kind of hardship, or any suffering for that matter, we often want to make sense of it. It seems to be human nature that when we see suffering, we want to understand it. We want to explain it, to connect the dots, and we do this all the time, right? We see suffering and wonder, well, what happened? What caused this? Whose fault is this man's 
suffering. And we can even think, like Job's friends, that maybe it's his fault. Maybe it's the suffering person's fault. Maybe Bartimaeus did something wrong, and so he's suffering. Sisters and brothers, be honest. Do you ever hear that voice, especially when you're suffering, that says, well, this is probably my fault. God's God's probably punishing me for something I did wrong. Beloved, hear me clearly. While our actions do have consequences, all our suffering is not a direct consequence of our actions. Praise God. While our actions do have consequences, all our suffering is not a direct consequence of our actions. In other words, all your suffering is not all your fault. Or your parents' fault. Or your grandparents' fault. No, while suffering is not good in and of itself, God is, and he sends and uses our trials for his good and glorious purposes, purposes that are not directly tied to our good or bad behavior. Beloved, Jesus himself said this, and he said it when he healed a blind man. Do you know the story? John chapter 9, Jesus is passing by on his travels. And he sees a man who's been blind since birth. And Jesus' disciples ask him, so Jesus' followers can think this way too. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why he's in this state, Jesus said. That's why I wanted him on this road at this time in this condition. His weakness is the perfect canvas to display my power. His darkness is the perfect opportunity for my heart to shine. His need is the perfect vessel for my merciful supply to fill up and abound in. Oh, beloved, your life. And the ups and downs of it isn't simply a result of your choices, be they good or bad. No, independent of your activity, God has some plans to make himself known in your life. And no, you do not have a say in how he does this. He gave you your life. He can do what he wants with your life. And you're sitting there with an objection in your mind thinking, that sounds cruel. But the good news is that God will only do what is right and best with your life. If you were in charge, you'd do what's not best for your life, as you already have. But God will use even your wrongness to display his work, his heart, his rightness, his power, his good character for his glory. And I get it, truly. You may not see that now. The mountains of your suffering, the depth of your pain, You can't see past it. We've all been there. And if we keep living, we will be there again. But God pulls us through again. John 9 says so that you in a watching world can see God move in power. Sisters and brothers, this sermon is about real Christianity today. Beloved, your suffering is not meaningless, not arbitrary. It's not good in and of itself. I'm not saying that, but God is using it for good. And if you don't have enough faith to believe that today, borrow some of mine. 
or borrow some of the person sitting next to you. God will not waste your sorrows. No, the hope of this book and Bartimaeus' story is that all of it, all our lives, all our triumphs and failures, all the bumps, bruises, scars, and wounds will be to the praise of God's glorious grace. And even you one day will stand in glory and look back and see how God worked throughout all your knotted up life. And you with the rest of the redeemed choir will say in wonder what the people said in Mark seven thirty seven when Jesus healed a deaf man, truly he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear. The mute speak, the blind see. Friends, God has purposes in the suffering of the blind man of John 9 and Bartimaeus in Mark 10. I mean, even us sitting here learning about God from these men's lives is a part of those purposes, right? If Bartimaeus wasn't blind and was just a regular guy, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about him and how God worked in his life. And Bartimaeus may not have known it, but God had a purpose for us to learn from his suffering. Beloved, could it be that one of God's purposes in your suffering is so that other people around you learn more about him? Could it be that your weakness in suffering, just like Bartimaeus's, is a chance for people to see God work? Oh, that'll change how we view our suffering. Your suffering is not meaningless. God will use it even to his glory. We need to keep moving, but I want to say two things before we do. Number one, your faith is a miracle. Your faith is a miracle. One thing Bartimaeus' story shows us is that no one sees Jesus by faith or by sight apart from a miracle. Beloved, right now as we behold Christ together by faith, we together are experiencing a miracle. Praise God. That's the first thing. The second thing I want, to, want us to note is the means by which this miracle came. The means by which this miracle came. Did you catch it in verse 47? How it described when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Beloved, faith, sight, it comes by hearing about Jesus and his word. And lots of people want to hear Jesus. That's why he's traveling That's why people crowd around him. That's why Jesus is in high demand anywhere he goes. And Jesus has lots of places to go, lots of people to see. He's a very busy man, but praise be to God. Another glorious truth Bartimaeus' story shows us is that Jesus is not too busy for you, whoever you may be. Beloved, point number two, your Savior is not too busy. Your Savior is not too busy. Yes, it is true. He's running the universe. He's upholding it by the word of his power, but busy? Nah. One is only busy when one has limitations. Blessed child of God, your savior is not too busy and he is not too busy for you. So point number one, your suffering is not meaningless. Point number two, your savior is not too busy. Beloved, in our text, Bartimaeus is on the roadside And I love the Good Samaritan illusions here. The man in need is on the side of the road and no one cares, no one except the one who is different than most anyone. And this one, this Messiah, stops for Bartimaeus. Beloved, could it be 
the greatness of your character will not be revealed in how packed your schedule is, but in how willing you are to let your busy schedule be interrupted for those in need around you. Moms of young kids, I hope that encourages you. Y'all are constantly interrupted. And no doubt Jesus was interrupted. And praise God, he is interruptible. Unlike the people around Bartimaeus, right, verse 47, Bartimaeus hears Jesus is coming. And though Jesus is surrounded by respectful religious people who had means and who could physically see and maybe just wanted to listen to Jesus quietly, Bartimaeus resorts to his only resource, his voice. And so to the surrounding crowd's disgust, he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And don't you know it, beloved, that Bartimaeus shows us that it's going to be hard to come to Jesus and look respectable in the world's eyes at the same time. I mean, isn't this striking, beloved? Bartimaeus is crying out in verse 48, look with me. Many, it says. So not just one, but many of the people rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Oh, we're about to get a United We Pray sermon up in here. Beloved, don't let anyone ever tell you not to cry out to God. Don't let anyone ever tell you not to pray. The book of Daniel, Old Testament, you know what it shows us? That even if a king passes a law forbidding prayer, you know what you should do? Get on your face and pray. Tuesday night, February 6th at 6 p.m., you know what this church is going to do? Lord willing, get on our knees and pray. Friends, Brittany Elmer at her son's funeral yesterday, with all that she could have said, concluded her beautiful eulogy. She stood in this pulpit right here and spoke of the great need to pray. Beloved, we're going to keep praying in this church. So much so that if you, don't like, if you don't like prayer, this church will be deeply disappointing to you. But... If you know yourself to be in need, if you are so desperate that you don't care what people around you think, oh, if you are desperate, you are welcome in this church to come on down and pray with Bartimaeus. You are welcome to cry out to the living God in prayer. And that's what Bartimaeus does. The people's rebukes only stir him up to pray more, saying, son of David, have mercy on me. I love it. Not a long prayer. Some of you don't know this, but when I was a kid, like seven years old, I wanted to be a Christian. So I asked my Christian friend at the time, who was also seven years old, hey, how do I become a Christian? And he said, well, you have to pray. And I said, okay, for how long? And he was like, mm, like five minutes. I remember it clear as day. On the outside, I was like, okay, yeah, cool, 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 I can do that. But on the inside, man, little seven-year-old Isaac was like, five minutes? That's a long time to pray. Beloved, if Bartimaeus shows us anything, it's that we don't have to talk for a long time to get God's attention. No, a simple sentence is all that's needed. After all, what do we see but that in verse 49, Bartimaeus prays, and Jesus, verse 49, look with me, stopped. Jesus, Jesus stopped. He stopped for Bartimaeus. 
He stopped for that bleeding woman in Mark chapter 5. He stops for me every day. And he will happily stop for you. Do you believe that this evening? That Jesus is not too busy for you. He stops. And in verse 49, 49, he says, call him, Bartimaeus, bring him here. Beloved, who does Jesus want you to bring to him? Could it be that you, like the disciples here, are wrongly keeping people from Jesus? That you're wrongly overlooking people whom he actually wants you to bring to him? Anyway, Jesus says, bring him. And I love this. In verse 49, the disciples go to Bartimaeus and say, come on, man, take, take heart. Jesus heard you. He's calling you. And Bartimaeus sprang up, the text says, in verse 50, and came to Jesus. Can you picture it, sisters and brothers? This blind man running to Jesus. It was probably a messy run. A stumbling run. A run that we might see in the church and be like, oh, that person actually has needs. But it was an honest run. A desperate run. And the only thing we really have to offer Jesus is our desperation. Our need. And so we run to him. Sisters and brothers, it's striking. Do you remember earlier in this chapter when we met that rich young man in verse 17? That rich man leaves Jesus. This poor man, poor blind man, jumps up like a spring chicken, comes to Jesus. Don't miss the irony. That rich young man could see all his stuff, but he couldn't see his own spiritual state. So he walks away from Jesus. This blind man can't see anything, but he can see his spiritual state. And so he runs to Jesus. And when he does, as we rejoiced in last week, Jesus says, verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Let me say three things before we move on, beloved. First, is I just want to note this title Bartimaeus used for Jesus. He called him son of David in verses 47 and 48. And kids, you might have been wondering, wait, son of David, I thought Joseph was Jesus' dad. And you're right. And yet Jesus is called a son of David because he's a descendant of King David from the Old Testament, arguably the most famous king in Israel's history. And the old promises of God said that the Messiah, the Savior, would come from the line of David, that the throne would not depart from David's house. That's why if you look at chapter 11, verse 10, uh, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the people are saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And so in calling Jesus the son of David, the blind man is expressing faith. He's saying, Jesus, you're not just a popular teacher of the day. You're the promised Messiah. And we'll talk more about this in a moment. But the second thing I want to look at briefly is Bartimaeus's prayer request. Let me recover my sight. A couple of you have asked me about this because last week we talked a lot about praying with selfish motives, Right? Uh, James and John had a selfish request for glory, and Jesus did not honor that request, at least in the way they expected. But here, Jesus obviously honors this request. So it can leave us wondering, is praying for myself wrong? How do I know when I'm doing it wrong? That is with selfish motives. 
And the answer I can most clearly give you is that it's not always clear and you need to trust God with your prayers. Uh, because our motives are always mixed, so don't wait until you have a pure motive to pray. You'll never pray again in your life. But our hope is that the Holy Spirit, as it says in Romans 8, fixes our prayers on the way up. So I hope that's helpful. But maybe a picture will help us understand asking rightly of God. Imagine one of my kids asks me, or even worse, tries to tell me, Dad, I want you to give, my, give me my sister's Play-Doh. Beloved, as his father, I can just tell, yeah, that request seems selfish. You seem to be asking to spend that on yourself, buddy. So that's the wrong way to ask of God. But when my kid comes and says, Dad, could you get me some Play-Doh for my birthday, please? That's a sincere request. It's still about Play-Doh and it's still for him, but do you see how the heart is different? How the first way of asking is rooted in pride, demanding my will, but the second is rooted in humility, submitting to his will. So beloved, to be crystal clear, it's okay to pray for what you want. It's okay to pray for physical healing. You should pray for it but always pray for it with open hands, knowing God can say no. And that leads me to one last comment before we move on, and it's this. This passage obviously touches on sickness or chronic illness or disability and prayer. And we're looking at a passage where someone prays and gets their request for healing granted. But a lot of you have prayed for healing. And it hasn't been granted. And that's really hard. That's really discouraging. And as we talked about earlier, God is not withholding healing to punish you for lack of faith or something like that. It's easy to hear these passages about faith making us well and get confused. I'm gonna say more about this in the manifold, but for now, beloved, remember Jesus. He had perfect faith. He prayed asking for God to spare him of something and God said, no. Turn to Mark 14. Mark 14. We've looked at this before. We're going to look at it again. This is Jesus on the last night of his life, Mark 14, 32. It says this, Mark 14, 32. Jesus and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Beloved, the father said no to Jesus. And praise God he did because otherwise we wouldn't be here. And so Jesus willingly went on to be crucified on the cross 
in our place for our sins. But on the third day, he was raised. And his resurrection is the assurance of your resurrection. Beloved, what I love about this text is it shows us where Jesus goes, you're going. And that means your future is incredibly bright. Point number three, briefly, your future is incredibly bright. Your future is incredibly bright. To you who are carrying chronic illnesses, I want to say this. I sympathize. I sympathize. In my past, I had a medical issue that wouldn't go away for a long while. And it was terrible. You know, just doctor's appointments all over, bills and so forth. It was really discouraging. But you know what the resurrection tells us about chronic illness? It tells us that it is terrible, but it isn't forever. It is terrible, but it isn't forever. Friends, I don't know why God doesn't heal you right now, like he did Bartimaeus. But I know that right now isn't the end of your story. And that God will heal you completely one day. It may not be in this life. Brittany Elmer said this about her and Chip's baby, beloved. Uh, Yesterday, she said that in a sense, they are actually thankful God didn't answer the prayers for healing in this life. So Isaac could receive a perfect body in the next. Because his body here on earth was so riddled, so broken. Oh, beloved, God will heal you completely one day. It may be in the next life. It may be after you close your eyes for the last time in this life. But when you open them again in the next life, you will see what Bartimaeus saw. Jesus. Pastor Cam pointed this out to me this week. Isn't it incredible that the first thing Bartimaeus ever saw was Jesus. Beloved, I trust Jesus will be the first thing you see in the next life. And when we are raised and get our new bodies, sickness will have no claim. Fatigue will have no claim. Surgery will have no claim. It'll be unnecessary because you will be healed. Sisters and brothers, the gospel is not just good news for your soul. By his wounds, we are healed. That is obviously true for our spiritual state. Praise God. But Romans 8 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Beloved, we don't have to over-spiritualize this. We don't have to be like, oh, well, I hate my body anyway, so I guess it's good news we'll be immaterial souls floating around in heaven for forever. No, No, doesn't this text show us that the very darkest parts of our physical bodies, the parts which we might despise and which we have carried around our whole lives, doesn't Bartimaeus show us it's those parts, the risen Jesus delights to redeem. Give me the messiest part of you so I can show the most glorious part of me. Give me the messiest part of you. I'll say it again, sis. Give me the messiest part of you. 
so I can happily show you the most glorious part of me. How did Ray put it in the first sermon of this year? Our bodies, the humblest parts of us are included in the gospel. Sisters and brothers, the spirit of God indwells your body. And he will give it life in this life and in the next. So, beloved, it's okay to get excited about your future body as defined by the promises of God. The Spirit of God indwells your body. And he will give it life in this life and the next. Till then, what should you do? What should you do? Keep praying, obviously, but I won't beat that drum anymore. Tonight, at least. But Bartimaeus shows us one other thing to do. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. I love verse 52. Look with me. Verse 52. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately Bartimaeus recovers his sight and followed him, Jesus, on the way. Beloved, do you see? Jesus heals Bartimaeus, says go your way. And Bartimaeus follows Jesus as Jesus goes his way. Bartimaeus no longer has a way or his way apart from the way of Christ. Christ's way has become Bartimaeus' way. Whatever way Christ is going, Bartimaeus is going. Jesus says, go your way. Bartimaeus is like, you, you are my way. Rex Stewart said this at Sermon Read last night. Uh, being blind, Rex was commenting on this. Being blind, Bartimaeus probably heard about lots of things. And imagine them and how beautiful and how great they are. And when he was healed, Bartimaeus could have gone to Jesus and said, thank you. But I really want to go see the Mediterranean Sea. Thank you. But, but I really want to go see the temple. I've heard about it my whole life. And yet Bartimaeus somehow knew there was nothing more beautiful to look at than the back of Jesus' head as he followed him. I don't want to see any of that stuff I heard about growing up. I just want to see you. Your back is enough. Like Moses in the cleft of that rock. Jesus is like, my back will be, will be plenty for you. Beloved, we receive God's mercy. This is the prayer we all need to pray. This is, this is the prayer. This was all we could pray. Elle said, the staff was praying over this text. Elma Clinton said this when she was praying. All we had to offer God were our cries for mercy. We receive God's mercy. We cry for it and long for it, cling to it like Bartimaeus, so we can experience the miracle of beholding Christ all our days. So we can see him. That's what we were made for, born for, so we could see him, enjoy him, receive his lavish love for the rest of our days. This is discipleship. This is Christianity. This is good. Mm. Beloved, Bartimaeus doesn't sit here. He doesn't sit there after Jesus heals him trying to figure out how Jesus worked the miracle. Like I'm so often tempted to do. No, he just follows the miracle worker. And so you go out there, out there this week. And you face the world that breaks your heart and gives you hell. And you do the same thing. Like Bartimaeus, you follow Jesus, giving him all your weakness 
Do it in front of people. It'll just let people see the power of God. Don't be embarrassed. They're just as weak. They're just hiding it. You give him all your weakness, trusting that in his mercy, the work of the Messiah will be displayed through you. Let's pray. Jesus, we long to see you. And there is nothing on earth that we desire besides you. And so we pray that you would help us to behold you by faith until faith is no longer necessary. And we behold you by sight. Have mercy on us, son of David. We thank you that you did on the cross. And we thank you that you do each and every morning. Amen.